You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. We are talking about walking in love as Jesus loved us. It's exciting. I, uh, I'm thrilled. We took Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse... Oh, I didn't dismiss the teenagers. Sorry, you're dismissed. Okay, <laughs> after the worship, yeah. And if you're a teenager, you can go to, to, the, to the teen service. Love you guys. See ya. Embarrassing? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> and uh, Ephesians chapter number uh, 5, in verse number 1, it says this. Be imitators of God as beloved children. I love that. Imitate God. Paul is telling us to mimic God. Specifically, he's telling us to do that by walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a sacrifice to God. So last week, we introduced this as somewhat of a theme verse for the month of June. And so we talked about our sixth core value, and that core value is this, love is our reason for sacrifice. And then every month, we've had a next level statement just to sort of complement the, the theme for the year, right? Keep it before us and then remind us of how we can go to the next level in this particular core value. So this month's next level statement is loving others at the next level. And we're learning that each week from the greatest example of love that there is, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, loving like Jesus loves. So what is love? We talked about that last week. We, we, we spoke about looking how Jesus loves. Last week's love challenge had to do with potentially looking at ways that we can sacrificially love others. And so we, we challenged our church just to, just to look for ways to intentionally love someone else in a sacrificial way. And I had a great time with that this week. You know, I tried to intentionally do that to share a couple of testimonies. I got to take a young man out to lunch this week that I hadn't uh, I, I, I knew I needed to do it. It's been a while. I've been putting it off. So I made the call, connected, took him to lunch. Hadn't been to church in a while. So it was a fantastic time of connection. And we're going to do that again. And so I really enjoyed that. I got to give a gift card out this week that the Lord told me to give. I gave a tip to the guy at the car wash place. And, and I got my, it was really sacrificial because I rolled my car down while the wa- car wash was on. So it wasn't a good move. I sacrificed my car for that $1 tip. But hey, it was worth it, you know. So they, they may seem silly to you, but they were just little ways to illustrate. And I sure everybody in here, if you thought about it, you probably distributed that kind of love to someone this week as well. And I'm just thinking about all the sacrificial gifts of love that we as a congregation can give to this community and show them the love of God. So today we're going to talk about learning how Jesus loves. And to do that, we're going to go back to the last night that Jesus was with his disciples before he was executed at Calvary, John chapter 13. Now what's interesting about John chapter 13 all the way through John chapter 16 covers about a 24-hour period, and the Lord Jesus speaks of love, and, and I may be off, but what I counted was 28 times. I was fascinated by that. 28 different times the Lord Jesus spoke about love in those chapters. It was at the supper that John records that Jesus loved his disciples to the very end. And by the way, 
He was at the very end of his life here on earth. He was just a day away from the crucifixion. In John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, he says this in our text. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having, here's the first mention of 28 times, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And you know, during that Last Supper, as you read the different accounts, they're discussing, discussing, the disciples are discussing who should be the greatest. I mean, here in this moment where Jesus is, is, is illustrating his death and, 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 and his, the shedding of his blood, they're more concerned about themselves. They are actually in love with themselves. That they create this drama at the Lord's Supper. We see one of those accounts in Luke chapter number 22. I want you to see it on the screen as I read through it. Just spend a moment on this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. That's important as we lay the foundation for the message. They're, They're looking, who is the greatest? Which one of us, God, is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And he says to them, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest or the lowest rank. And the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table? Or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. So as you read the gospel accounts, you'll find this to be the third time that the disciples are arguing among themselves as to which one of them deserved to be the greatest. We find one of those accounts in Mark chapter 9. I think the worst account, the most, it's, it's ugly, is Mark chapter 10 because right after Jesus at the Lord's table is discussing about the fact that the scribes are going to you know, the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees are going to take him away. They're going to spit on him. They're going to mock him. They're going to beat him. In the next verse, the disciples say, and I'm adding this, but in essence they say, oh, that's too bad, Jesus. Hey, who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? And it's devastating because it shows their insensitivity to Jesus. Here he is in the midst of a moment where you would think they would be engaged with being concerned about that, but yet they're more concerned about their position. On each occasion, Jesus actually interrupted their arguing and reminds them that the greatest is the servant of all. Jesus defines authority in a counter-cultural way. Jesus says, listen, gentlemen, when you have the opportunity to rule over other people, don't use it like you've seen it used. We serve from a different position. And so we're going to learn what Jesus meant by that. We're going to learn how Jesus loved in this account in John chapter 13. So let's go back to the Lord's Supper. We are hours before Jesus is going to be arrested as we read through this text They are going to celebrate the Passover together. This will be the last time that Jesus celebrates the Passover with his best friends before he's going to be arrested and crucified. 
Now, in just a moment, as we enter to the text, it might be helpful for us to realize that there's something about ancient Israel that would be good to know about before we read it, and that is this. People wore sandals back in that day, right? And so the, the streets were dirty. They were dirt roads. They were dusty roads. They were filthy. And so as you entered into a home as a guest, baby, or even into your own home for dinner, there would always be a slave and or servant. And that slave or servant would have three utensils, three different objects. One would be a basin. The other would be a pitcher of water. And the other would be a towel. And because the feet were so dirty, they would, they would, their, their feet would be washed as they would enter into their homes. And so that context is kind of what I want you to notice. But I want you to also know this, that in this upper room where this Passover took place, there were only 12 disciples and Jesus. No servant was attending them. There was no servant, no additional person waiting at the door to wash their feet. So you've got to imagine this scene. Here are the utensils for washing everyone's feet for everyone to see. Everyone who walked in could see they were there. There was the bowl. There was the pitcher of water. There was the towel. But no one moved to take the position of a servant. And Jesus is about to give us a picture of what serving in love is actually all about. Jesus is going to give us an example and a picture of the servant who, who loves. So the supper has ended. No one has washed anyone's feet. Now let's dive into the text. Listen and watch Jesus' love in action. Verse 2. During the supper, when the devil had already put, put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. We'll come back to that. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, he was going back to God, and we'll come back to that, he rose from supper. Pay attention. This is extraordinary. He lays aside his garments. He strips himself of his garments. He takes the towel He ties it around his waist. He pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe their feet with the towel that was wrapped around him. What an extraordinary move. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the Lord of glory. He stands up, he lays aside his garment, and he carefully and he tenderly washes the feet of his own disciples in calmness, in majesty, and in total silence. He removes his robe, his outer robe, his belt, and most likely his inner tunic, which would have left him standing there looking like a slave. He puts a towel around his waist, and he kneels down to wash the disciples' feet one by one. Can you imagine how this must have stung the disciples' hearts? Can you imagine how, this must, how they must have felt as their leader, their master, bows down to wash their feet? Jesus places himself in complete contrast to the disciples who are looking for places of honor. They're looking for places of recognition. We're entitled We want to be the greatest. We're we're one of his disciples. 
He was stooping to a higher level. He was showing them how to love at the next level. And so there's three insights into the heart of God that I think we can see in this story that I want to share with you today. Now, there's many more insights. And I'm sure from this passage of Scripture, there have been thousands upon tens of thousands of sermons preached through church history, right? But here's my little version of it for this morning's message. Just three simple insights into the heart of Jesus as we learn together from his example on how to love like Jesus loves and how to serve with love. Number one, Jesus teaches us here that you start with love, not duty, when you serve. You start with love, not duty, when you serve. Notice here, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Back to that first verse. He would depart out of this world. He loved his own who were in the world. It says he loved them to the end. Jesus said he loved them his entire life in his human body, and he continues to love them now. And in loving them humanly, by the way, sometimes I think we look at the love of God, which, by the way, is, is the most glorious, obvious, amazing, phenomenal, radical way that we can see the love of God at the cross, right? It's just, it's just amazing. But oftentimes, I think we miss the pre-Calvary signs of his love. How did Jesus love before he died? How did Jesus show his love before Calvary? And we have a picture of that right here in the text. He served them. He gave them an example to follow. In this text, he's about to wash their feet as a servant. But just for a moment, would, would, would we not agree that Jesus could have taken liberty to put the, pull the rank card and command one of them to do this? I mean, he's the leader after all, right? Could he have not said, hey, Peter, my feet are still dirty. What? I've given you five minutes to notice the towel, the basin, the pit. Come on. Is anybody going to wash my feet? I mean, was Jesus not the greatest? The greatest of all time. He doesn't pull the rank card. Instead, he used his liberty to love. Just like Galatians chapter number 5 and verse 13 says. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What motivated Jesus to reach for that towel? What motivated Jesus to reach for that pitcher of water? What motivated Jesus to wash the disciples' feet? Was it contempt for the disciples' selfishness? Had he just reached a point where it's like, fine. I guess I'll just do it. If nobody else is, somebody's got to do it. Was it disgust for their misplaced priorities? No. It's one word. The word is love. He loved them. And he served in love. Love prompted Jesus to lower himself for the benefit of others. Because when the disciples thought of a servant, that's not what they thought about. When the disciples thought of a servant, they didn't think of someone stooping themselves lower than someone else. They thought of somebody who does something because they have to. It's their duty. They're forced to because it's their duty. And without love, service is merely duty. That's all it is. 
I do this because I have to. Yeah, yeah, you're the pastor. you got to preach. I mean, you better have a sermon ready because, I mean, it's your job. You're supposed to do it. You're the janitor. You're supposed to do it. You're the parent. You're supposed to do it. You're the child. You're supposed to do it. You're the, you're the, you're the employee. This, this is your job. Somebody expects you to do this. That's why you do it. But love makes all the difference in the world. Love is the motive for service, not duty. This is how we learn to love like Jesus loves. This is why our core value is love is our reason for sacrifice. Because if the service that you're doing is making you bitter, it's an indication that the love has gone. Maybe it's serving your spouse. Maybe it's serving your children. And honestly, it's just, you're just tired of of not being thanked. You know, it's just like I do all of this, and I mean, I, I, I do all of my duties, and Nobody ever recognizes. I haven't, I haven't gotten a Mother's Day card in, in a couple of years or a thank you card or I serve at the church and I'm doing all this. Nobody even knows I'm doing it. There's, I just, I just, is it really worth it? Is it making a difference? When your service turns to bitterness, it's an indication the love is gone. And, and we're all serving in different ways, even in ministry as we serve. We must ask ourselves the question, God-like love is a love that is selfless. It's a selfless love. And I constantly have to, honestly, almost test myself and, 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 and intentionally teach myself by following the example of Christ that as I serve, it's not out of duty. It's not because I have to. It's because I love my wife. I love my children. I love my church family. And that's why I picked pick up that piece of trash. That's why I, 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 I work in the nursery or, or, or that's why I change that diaper or that's why I clean those dishes. It's not duty. It's love. That's following the example that Jesus gave. Secondly, and we see this in the life of Christ, Jesus settled his life's direction. Now pay close attention as we walk through this. This is going to be very important for all of us to, to, to notice. And there's several truths here that, that are very important. And, and, and the first one I want to establish will help us to understand the second one. So first of all, the supper is ended. It's over. We see in John chapter 13, verse 2, the supper has ended. I mean, the dishes are being cleared from the table. But notice something in the text. Not only is the supper ended, but something else happened in verse 4. Jesus rose from the table. Supper's over. I mean, everybody's finished. They're hanging out now. I mean, maybe somebody's clearing some of the dishes. I don't know how that looks or what the tradition would have been like back then. But I do know that it's interesting to note that Jesus pushed himself away from the table and he rose from supper time. Why? Because here's the truth. Nobody prepares a meal that lasts forever. For instance, I'm, I, you might call this sermon a meal. I'm, 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 I'm serving up a, a truth from, from the Word of God. How many of you are glad this sermon is not going to last forever? Amen? Yes, thank you for your honesty. I am too. <laughs> I mean, this, this meal is going to be 30, 35 minutes. In fact, we, we got done a little early this morning. 
Prayerfully, we get done a little early in the second service, right? You're like, please. <laughs> I get it. Nobody prepares a meal that lasts forever. I mean, yesterday we had a meal as a family together, the four or five of us, and we sat and ate, and it was 25, 30 minutes, and it was over. There's a time when we must move from supper time. There's a time in our Christian lives where we must move beyond the stage in our growth where we come to a ministry just to be fed, just to receive. We must make the transition from supper time to service time. Get up from the table and and give someone else a turn at the seat. Learn the art of service and move beyond the gluttony of supper. I think so many times we find ourselves in a position as a believer over a period of time of just sitting and receiving. And we become gluttons spiritually. And we just learn and we learn and we get and we get and we're fascinated by truth, but we don't put that truth into action. One of the things I love about our guest connection that we have once a month is we take time before people join our church to really help them to understand that there's an expectation that we have in all of our new members if they join to grow to the place where they serve. They move away from the supper table and they rise as Jesus did and they begin to find a place of service. It's an amazing thing to grow, to walk in love. Love is our reason for sacrifice. I was so excited because I, I saw it played out this week in real time. I was, we have a lighthouse in our home every week, and uh, we, we have the single adults, the older single adults, anywhere from age 30 to probably, honestly, 70. It, it's pretty incredible diversity in our, in, our, in our singles group. And it's not a dating group. It's not. It's not that at all. It's a Bible study for people who... Are single and it's hard for them sometimes to find a place to really feel like they belong and so we've created this space and it's been cool we've had up to 25 or 30 that have attended different ones and we average around 18 or 19 it's exciting so after the bible study this week one of the ladies in our group came up to me and said um she comes to the first service she said uh pastor could i talk to you this week about our small group about our lighthouse i said sure i said just call carrie and get an appointment so she did Well, have you ever heard me tell stories about people that want to talk to the pastor? Yeah. My famous stories about people that want to talk to the pastor is it's usually not good when they want to meet you in your office. (laughs) You know. Well, I was a little bit nervous. I thought, she's a new member. She just joined the small group. What's wrong? Am I, is there something, is she uncomfortable? I got to admit, I'm a little insecure sometimes. Is that okay to admit? But when she came, she said, I'm so excited. The Lord's laid something on my heart. She said, you know, you talked last week about just sacrificial acts of love, and I'm just, I know there's not much I can do, but I was wondering if I could write a note to our small group members on like a bi-weekly, monthly basis just to encourage them, maybe a birthday card, and maybe from time to time slip a little, you know, a little gift. And, and she said, I would just, I think I might just call it a letter-writing ministry within our small group. She said, Pastor I wanted to get your permission to do that. I said, of course not. We can't do that. We can't be writing letters. No, I didn't do that. I said, that's wonderful. That's amazing. What I was so encouraged about was was somebody who was pushing away from the supper table and saying, you know what? It's time to serve. 
Let's find a creative way to get involved. And, and you know what? You don't have to find a creative way. You could call a deacon or a pastor and say, hey, listen, I just want to get plugged in. What area of service can I become a part of? Settle your life's direction. The reason why Jesus could rise and leave the supper table is because he knew something. Look at it. Look at it. Just two words in John chapter 13, verse 3. What did Jesus know? It says Jesus knowing. Important words there in the text. Because when you know why you do what you do, it makes all the difference. Jesus knew something. And when you know why you do what you do, it frees you to serve by love. Jesus knew where he was from, and Jesus knew where he was going. Which means this, he had a strong sense of his identity. It was mentioned as we sang that first worship song, I am who you say I am. Pay close attention to the text again, John 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 3. Let's read the whole thing together. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, he had a strong sense of his identity. He knew he was from God. He knew he was going back to God. People who are in an identity crisis are not very good servants because they're so busy spending energy trying to figure out who they are and trying to prove themselves. And Jesus had nothing to prove. He knew who he was. He had settled his life's direction. Jesus knew that he was the son of God and washing dirty feet wasn't going to change that at all. Wasn't going to make any difference. Who cares? I'm going to do, I'm going to serve in love. I can lower myself to do something that most people would look at as, wait a minute, he shouldn't be doing that. No, no, that doesn't change anything about who I am. I am who you say I am. I think some think if I serve someone, if I put myself lower than someone, I might lose my opportunity to be elevated higher than them. I want to be very careful. I think oftentimes people think that, that if, I, if I lower myself to do this, that's not my title. I'm the pastor. I need a parking lot sign that says, pastor's parking spot, don't park here. Just so you know. The most insecure pastor is the pastor that needs a parking spot. To remind everybody he's the pastor. The most insecure pastor is the guy that always has to remind everybody I'm the pastor. The truth of the matter is, is I need to have, I need, we need to understand together that, that, that we are not, we don't need to have an identity crisis. We have been loved by God. We have been saved by the cross. Jesus Christ has, has identified us as his child. And in that love, we can serve one another. Jesus knew who he was. And if we don't know who we are in God, we will spend most of our energy doing things to define our identity. And your identity is not found in what you do. Your identity is found in whose you are. You're a child of God. You're loved by God. And it seems that none of the disciples were secure enough in who they were to embrace the job of a servant. I wonder how many of our staff members are not secure enough in who they are to embrace the job of a servant. 
from time to time I've heard that in 28 years. That's not my job. In other words, I'm better than that. I'm higher than that. Why do I have to do that? And yet the person who was the greatest was down on his knees washing 24 stinky, dirty feet. And it was Jesus. But I want you to notice something before that. Notice in John chapter 13, verse 4, he stands up from the meal and he begins to disrobe. This is interesting, fascinating. He rises from supper. He lays aside his outer garments. He disrobes. He takes a towel. He ties it around his waist. Think about what's happening. I mean, I don't know how visual we want to get here, but I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. Jesus removes his outer robe. He removes his belt. He removes his inner tunic. From everything that I study, it left him basically naked in Jewish terms. He takes a towel. He wraps it around his waist, leaving him looking just like a slave. Real ministry starts when we stop trying to impress one another and say, this is who I really am. This is who I really am. And if I could just be transparent with you in my life, it's only been the last 10 years that I've been able to say, this is who I really am. To be honest, I think for so long, at least in my world, pastors were taught not to expose their weakness. We were taught, listen, people are going to put you on a pestle. That's just the way it is. Accept that. They used to call, they, it was something they used to call where I was, where I was educated as a pastor, uh, this mystique. You need to have a mystique. People need to kind of look at you in a way that, 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 that you're just, maybe not perfect, but close to it. And then some fi- someone finally preached a sermon that said, the mystique mistake. It's a complete mistake. It, it, it's wrong. We're putting men on the pestle that are just human. We're, we're, we're imprisoning them in their calling. I'm a pastor, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's why I often say I'm one sinner preaching to other sinners, how we can all sin just a little bit less. Don't put me on a pedestal. I will let you down. I'm not perfect. That's why folks oftentimes find other churches to attend when they finally find out the pastor's actually not perfect. So I got to go to find another church to find out that that pastor's not perfect. Then I go to another one to find out that that he's not perfect. And And I find myself just in this vicious rage of who's perfect? No one is. Only Jesus. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And the closer we get to leaders, the more they hide because they're afraid. We've asked them to be flawless. Hey, listen, don't put man on a pedestal, including a pastor. We're only human. Jesus then laid aside his garments. Verse number four. He lays aside his garment. This is what serving others by love is all about. It requires you and I, pay attention, listen, to lay aside some things. Sometimes we have to lay aside our personal ambitions to be a servant. Sometimes we find ourselves having to lay aside our pride to be a servant or lay aside our preferences. The garment here, I believe, represents different things to different people. It's whatever camouflages your realness. Whatever camouflages you being authentic is what your garment that needs to be laid aside is. 
We must learn to follow Jesus' example here and lay aside the garment of image or reputation, the garment of fear, the garment of self-righteousness. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Put away or lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. And that's what we have here in the text. It's a beautiful picture. The Prince of Peace strips himself to appear before them in only a common towel. He wraps a towel around his waist. He's showing the disciples that they can never change the atmosphere or wash the feet of anybody until they themselves have gone through sacrifice and endured risk and rejection. And this is what I'm beginning to learn in ministry. That sometimes we have to lay aside our personal preferences. And I, and I look at our ministry here today. We would not be here today if you and, and I would not have been led by the Spirit to lay aside these silly personal traditions and preferences that were serving a pedestal, serving a movement, serving whatever, and yet we weren't serving the community. We weren't serving people. And, and I'm being a little difficult here, maybe hard, too harsh. I'm not meaning that. I'm, I'm, I'm meaning, honestly, to, to, to put it on myself to say that I am so happy today that, yes, there was risk, there was sacrifice, there was loss. It was painful, but you know what? I'm free to serve in love now. It makes all the difference in the world. I'm free to serve in love when I laid aside my personal agenda and preferences. Could I suggest we do that in our marriages? In our marriages, we need to lay aside our needs and allow our spouse's needs to supersede ours. Because when you say, I love you, you are putting yourself second. That's what that means. I love you. I, 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 want, I want you to know that. Above, above my needs are your needs. It's not easy, is it? That's how we learn to love like Jesus loved. When you serve with love, you're living your life for the benefit of someone else. And in one way, it's easier to say, I'd be willing to die for you, than to say, I'd be willing to live for you every day of my life. Practical ways. Sometimes we think that the greatest form of love is to, to, just to die for someone. Most of us will never die for anyone. But all of us will get to live and serve every day of our lives others in practical ways. Maybe that's the difficult challenge. Maybe it would be easier if we could just die for someone versus every single day having to live for others in a selfless way. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, help me to live for others that I may live like thee. This is the love that Jesus is talking about. Every day, practical love, serving one another. So start with love, not duty. Secondly, settle your life's direction. Thirdly, and in closing, are you ready? Serve with love like Jesus. Now I'm going to be practical and simple. As we conclude the message this morning, let me begin with this. Have you ever felt unappreciated? Now don't, don't, don't feel like you have to be over-spiritual right now. I'll be the first. I have felt, honey, you're second. Have I got a few others that have felt unappreciated? Okay, good. 
All right, the rest of us are just like, I just am too tired to raise my hand. I get it. No problem, no problem. At some point, we all sort of feel that way. I mean, I can honestly say I have felt that way recently. And the reason I, I, I know that is because I've examined my heart. I thought, Eric, now, you know that's something you've done recently. You, you, you haven't done the perfect job of practicing what you've preached lately. And I must say that I, I do struggle with this. When I mean, we, probably there's others that understand what I'm saying. It's just to be unappreciated. Sometimes it just, you feel like that no one notices. Or, or you feel like there's just, really, you're not making an impact. And in those moments, you need to remind yourself that servants serve imperfect people. All of us are imperfect. We're not serving each other from a place of perfection. It's not perfect people serving perfect people. It's imperfect people serving imperfect people. And so Jesus not only knew who he was, he knew who they were. He knew that. And he still washed their feet, even though these guys were a piece of work. Now, that's interesting that there are two specific people mentioned in the text. And that's what I want to close with. Let's look at the first one in John chapter 13, verse number 5. He pours water into a basin. He begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter. Now, church family, we don't know what any of the other disciples thought. But as usual, we knew what Peter thought. Because Peter was that kind of guy. Peter was the guy that was always going to speak up and tell you what he was thinking, right? If you know anything about Peter, you know that was kind of his deal. And so Peter got a lot of ink in the Bible because he, he always seemed to say something. He always seemed to have something to say about something. And so Jesus, Jesus comes to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Are you sure you want? This is not a good move, God. Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. So Peter says to him, you will never wash my feet. It ain't going to happen, Jesus. And Jesus says, if I do not wash, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, also my hands and my head. Jesus washed Peter's feet. We have the idea that the disciples thought Oh, rather, we have the idea that, we don't have the idea of, any, of what any of the other disciples thought, but we do know what Peter thought, and Peter thought this, Lord, this is not a good move. This is a bad decision. This is, you're the master, you're the boss, you're the leader. If I was you, I would not lower myself to do this. It's going to make you look bad. But Jesus convinces Peter to let him love him. Jesus challenges Peter's pride because Peter was unwilling not only just to be a servant, Peter was unwilling to let Jesus serve him. And so Jesus washes Peter's feet in spite of the fact that Peter was full of pride. Isn't it amazing that Jesus loves us even though sometimes we're so seemingly hard to love? Have you ever loved somebody who's hard to love? Have you ever served somebody who made it difficult for you to do it? Serve him anyway. Secondly, I want you to notice the other person mentioned in the text is Judas. Go back to the beginning of the text in John chapter 13 and verse 12. During supper, when the, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Judas Iscariot was at the dinner. Get this. Jesus washed Judas's feet. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable thought to think that even though Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, Jesus washed the feet of the one who would actually be responsible for nailing his feet to the cross. And yet Jesus, just like every other disciple, washed Judas's feet too. And it's interesting that although Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, he loved him to the end. He never gave up on Judas I want everyone here to know that Jesus is not going to give up on you. He's going to love you to the end. If you're here today and and you've never been saved, you've never accepted Christ, he comes today to you to wash your feet, to serve you, to say, I died for you. And, And you can be saved today. He never gave up on Judas. And he hasn't given up on anybody in this auditorium. So why did Jesus wash their feet? I'm going to give you three closing reasons. Number one, He washed their feet to teach them what real servanthood was. I don't know that it's necessary for us to wash each other's feet. Some some denominations do it. I don't think it's wrong. But but I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching here, that now we ought to practice washing each other's feet. So if your feet are dirty, I need to ask you, if your feet are dirty, can I wash your feet? No, no, that's not it at all. The example is this. He washed others' feet so that he could give us an example of what it means to be a servant, to, to love with a selfless love, to lower ourselves in spite of our position, our power, our possessions, in spite of all that, let's serve with love to one another. Secondly, and this is the one that I think most people miss, he washed the disciples' feet because their feet were dirty. That's a good reason to wash your feet. Amen? I mean, if there's a need, shouldn't we jump in to fill it? If you see a piece of trash on the ground, should your reaction be, I can't believe the janitor's not doing his job. What's wrong with this guy? I'm going to ask preacher what we're paying him. Maybe it's too much. Or could it be that you walk past that trash to pick it up? See a need, take the lead. Jesus saw that their feet were dirty. What an opportunity to wash their feet. Church family, there's many needs all around us. Needs in your home. Hey, maybe when you walk past the kitchen sink next time and see dirty dishes, don't yell, honey, just clean them yourself. Amen. Maybe it's an opportunity when the car is not, your spouse's car is not clean. Maybe it's an opportunity to clean it out. But if you clean out my wife's car, she might get upset because you might throw away something that she really wants to keep. I've done that, by the way. So be careful. See the need, take the lead. That was Jesus. And then thirdly, I think it's finally, it's so interesting that Jesus taught them and us to follow his example and to serve with love. And let's finish the text in verse number 12, all the way through verse 17. After washing their feet, he's finished. It's all over. They're clean. He puts his robe on again. He sits down and he says this to the guys. Do you understand what I was doing? And no one gives an answer. It's complete silence. Do you know what I was doing? Nobody says anything, so he speaks up. You call me teacher and Lord. And by the way, Jesus was entitled to that position. He was. I'm entitled to the position dad. I'm a dad. I'm entitled to the position pastor. I'm a pastor. In some cases in my life, I'm entitled to the the position of boss. I have employees. I get it. We all have titles. Everyone here has a title. You have something you are entitled to. Two. Jesus was entitled to being called 
teacher and Lord. He says in the text, you are right because that's what I am. I mean, you don't need to hide your title. Jesus didn't hide his. And since I, your teacher and Lord, or Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Why? I've given you an example. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. This was an example of serving with love and not duty. Not duty. Next level living. Next level loving. And so the next time you wonder, what do I do with this entitlement that I have? You know, I've, I've, I've got some money. I've been blessed. I've got quite a bit of money. And so does that make you better than anybody else because you have money? What, what do I do with that entitlement? I mean, I've, if I've got more money than you've got, what do I do with that? What do I do with the entitlement of power? I'm in charge. What do I do with my entitlement as a, as a dad? I'm the leader of my home. What do I do with it, though? How do I manage that? How do I steward my entitlement, my possessions, the things that God's given me? They're mine, right? Sure, I've been given those things. I paid for them. I bought them. I mean, I'm, I'm just being, I'm trying to be honest here today. There, there's things we're entitled. What do you do with the things you've been entitled with? Can I make a suggestion? Serve others in love. Take your title and use it to serve others. Take some of your money and use it to bless others. Take some of your vehicle and use it to give others a ride. Take your home and use it to host lighthouses. Take your job and use it to help others. Whatever entitlement you have, use it to serve each other in love. I know I've got this title, this thing they call pastor, but can I tell you? I think one of the greatest parts of my job is when I get to clean a toilet or empty the trash or pick up some trash or just come alongside. And one reason why I don't come out of the, the back at the very end and step onto the platform and then slip out the back, and one reason I do that is because I think, I think that's the entitlement that so often we as leaders feel as if we have to have this. We have to separate ourselves from from the audience so that we can be more noticed or feel more important. But I've never felt more important than when I sit next to you and you love me and I love you and I just feel like the ground is level at the cross and we can serve one another in love. Can I get an amen right there? That's what this is all about and that's what Jesus is teaching. So I gave you some practical ways to love one another. Do you see them in your, in your worship guide in closing? You say, Pastor, these are kind of silly. Well, Deliver some goodies and cakes to a local emergency responder with a thank you note for their service. Wow. Would that really make a difference, a dozen cookies and a note? I think so. Deliver a bag of groceries to a struggling family. Maybe assist in mowing or other lawn care needs at your local church this week. I had a family this week contact me and say, Pastor, we're just going to take care of all the lawn work this week. Couldn't believe it. uh, make a meal or treat and deliver it to someone in need or to a neighbor you haven't met yet. Had the most incredible thing happen to me last week. Had a guy in the church call me who's homebound. He can't come to church. He can't drive anymore. He lost his license. And Thomas, 
I didn't call you because I want to do it. He said, Pastor, all I want is a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. That's it. I said, why not hogs? I mean, it's a lot better. He said, I don't like hogs. I like Pizza Hut. I said, all right, I'll get you a personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. And so we're delivering a personal pan pizza to this homebound guy that can't come to church anymore. That little small way of serving him is what I'm talking about. And then teenagers, I put one here for you. Secretly clean out your mom and dad's car without them noticing. Well, I guess if your cars are cleaned out this week, parents, you'll know who did it. (laughs) Well, actually, none of the teenagers are in here, so you need to show them the notes. Church family, this has been a blast for me this week. Studying this message and preparing this message for you because I know how much of a difference this can make. I know how much of a difference it makes in my wife's life when I serve her as a husband in love. I know the kind of difference it makes in Chloe's life when I serve her as a dad in love. I know what kind of a difference it makes in your life as a church member when I serve as a pastor in love. May we together, as a unit, as a body, serve one another in love. If you've never been saved today, I encourage you to receive that love from Jesus at the cross when he shed his blood for redemption of your of your life, of your soul, so you could go to heaven and spend an eternity with him. If you've never received that gift this morning, I encourage you, receive that love from God. He, he served you at the cross by laying down his life for you. Be saved today. If you've never been saved, I'll be up front along with one of our elders. You're welcome to come. And let us pray with you, talk to you more about that. Or after the service, we'll hang out and talk some more. Whatever you need, we want to serve you. We want to be there for you. But if you also just need a place at the altar, whatever the response this morning is just, what does the Holy Spirit want you to do? If you need someone to pray with you, I'd be honored to do that as well. So whatever it is that God's leading you to do as a response to the, to the text, to the message, to the worship, feel free to do that. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word this morning. I pray, God, today that you would take everything we have shared in your word and that you would... Lord, break the the stony hearts, including mine sometimes, God. Father, break that and make it fertile and soft and easy for the Word to get in and make a difference in our homes, in our families, in our church. God, may we learn to serve one another with love. Thank you again for this awesome opportunity to be a part of this faith family. And God, may we leave this place looking for ways to sacrificially love others like you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?